Our text for this morning is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remains at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you that you have preserved it down to this very day and delivered it to us this morning. We ask that by your spirit you would illuminate our hearts, that you would give us understanding as to what it means, how it applies to our lives, and how we can live this out as a community. We thank you for your spirit that not only gives us understanding but empowers us to live out what you have called us to do and to be as your people. We, in all of these things, look to you, Lord Jesus, thanking you for the redemption that you have won for us and for the help that you are to us each and every day. Help us now as your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the hardest things I think about church community is that for most of us, our life together usually only lasts for a season. What I mean by that is teenagers are going to graduate from high school and some of them are going to go off to college. Job opportunities are going to arise and some of these families are going to move away. Older saints are going to get on in years and they're going to find that it's important to move closer to be with family. Now, none of these transitions are bad, but I think all of these transitions are hard. And I think that they are especially hard on those who move away. You know, something that I have noticed over the years is that often the hardest seasons in someone's spiritual life is during a time of transition. You see, people will consider where they're going to live. People will consider where they're going to work. And they're going to consider where they're going to send their kids to school. But rarely do people pause to consider where they are going to worship or what church family they are going to be connected to. And time and time again, the consequences of this can be spiritually devastating. For example, I find myself more times than I can count 
reaching out to people who have moved away and found myself having the same exact conversation. I'll say something like, hey, how are you guys doing? Have you connected with the church yet? And they'll say something like, no, not yet. I mean, we tried a couple of churches once we got here, but with everything that's been going on, you know, it's just been really hard to get to church. And I'll say something like, yeah, I get it. I know transitions are really difficult. How are you doing spiritually? And the answer is usually always the same. They'll say something like, you know what? To be honest, I'm not doing well. It kind of feels like I'm in a spiritual desert and I know that we need to get back to church, but I just don't feel motivated like I used to. These brothers and sisters are learning a spiritual truth the hard way. They're learning we cannot live the Christian life alone. In fact, I think this is one of the main reasons that the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy at all. We tend to think of the Apostle Paul as this kind of larger than life spiritual hero in the faith. We think of him as this super Christian that's always leading others and rarely having any spiritual needs himself. But when we get to this portion of 2 Timothy, the end of the letter, we see the Apostle Paul at the end of his life awaiting execution in a Roman prison. And we hear the Apostle Paul longing for fellowship with other believers. He says to Timothy, his friend, do your best to come to me soon. The Apostle Paul knew that he could not live the Christian life alone, especially at the end. And the same is true for us. We're finishing our sermon series this morning in the letter of 2 Timothy. And as we've been saying, as we've been going along, the heart of 2 Timothy, the conviction of this letter, is that God has saved us. And he has called us to leave a gospel legacy, to guard the good deposit, the treasure that is the gospel message that has been entrusted to us. And throughout the letter, we've seen that the way that this happens is that the Holy Spirit actually helps us to love the gospel message in our generation and helps us to love the gospel heritage that we are a part of. He helps us to have gospel priorities, to be those that are Thinking like good soldiers, always on mission. Thinking like winning athletes, always running according to the rules, submitting to God's word in all things. Thinking like diligent farmers, those who will keep their hand of the plow and their hope in the promise of the seed. Those that stand firm on God's word. Those who are willing to speak the truth to those who need to hear it. But in all of these things, what we see here at the end of 2 Timothy is that Leaving a gospel legacy, guarding the good deposit that has been entrusted to us, cannot happen by one person alone. Not in your life and not in our life as a church. In order to leave a gospel legacy, we must fellowship with other Christians. And the reason for this is because of what fellowship really is in the Bible. Now, I want you to notice back in verses 9 and 10, as Paul is imploring Timothy, come to be with me soon. I want you to notice how fellowship is explored in these final verses. But what comes to mind when you think of the word fellowship? Do you think of coffee and donuts? Do you think of superficial, awkward conversations after a worship service? The word that is often translated fellowship in the New Testament is the Greek word Koinonia. And surprisingly, it doesn't literally mean socializing. 
it literally means partnership. Like what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as after thousands of Jews in Jerusalem believed the gospel and received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, this is how these people are described. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, the word that's translated here as fellowship, it again, literally means partners. And it's describing for us how these Christians related to one another. It says they had a sense of devotion, a sense of loving commitment to one another. You see, fellowship in the Bible is not superficial socializing after a worship service. Fellowship in the Bible is loving devotion to a particular group of people. Fellowship is a partnership in and of our spiritual lives. Now, we don't actually see the word fellowship in 2 Timothy, but I don't think it's difficult for us as we look through verses 9 through 22, this sense of devotion to one another being expressed. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, when just introducing himself in the letter to Timothy, doesn't refer to Timothy simply as his friend or as a fellow pastor. Paul refers to Timothy as my beloved child. And this is because fellowship in the Bible goes, I think, much deeper than we tend to imagine. Fellowship, properly understood, is not something that we create as a church or as a community. It is something that we receive. Our fellowship with one another is a gift of God that he has given us in Christ. We see this in a place like 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Let me read this for us. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. What John is saying is that the, it's only because of the work of Christ. It is only because of our union with him through faith that we have fellowship with God and therefore fellowship with one another. In fact, it is precisely because we are united to Christ that we can say we are truly united to one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, which is a phenomenal book, I highly recommend that you read this book on church community. He says it this way, Christianity, it means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Later in that same book, Bonhoeffer will argue that fellowship is not a social ideal that we are seeking to achieve, nor is it a social experience that we are wanting to have. Fellowship in the Bible is first and foremost a divine reality. It is what God has done for us as his people in and through Jesus Christ. Namely, that he has made us a spiritual family for all eternity. Maybe to think about it this way. We don't go to church. We are the church. And it's like being in a biological family, right? You, you may not like your siblings. You may not enjoy that weird cousin that you have to get together with once a year, right? You may not even feel particularly connected to your parents, and yet none of that changes the truth. The truth is you are a member of your family. 
The question isn't, are you a member of your family? The question is, is that connection between you and your family being expressed in practical ways? This is what we see at the end of 2 Timothy, as Paul is exploring this idea of fellowship by calling us to express this divine reality in a myriad of practical ways. And so for the rest of our time together, we're gonna to look at what does it actually mean to participate in a biblical understanding of fellowship? It's not socializing, but this divine reality of partnership in the gospel. And so how are we gonna do this? Well, I would say that if we're asking ourselves the question, are we simply socializing or are we engaged in true biblical fellowship, that is partnership because of the gospel, then we need to check our fellowship pulse, P-U-L-S-E. Now, I am not usually one to use acronyms in a sermon, but I find these five letters to be particularly helpful as we work our way through these last verses of 2 Timothy. So if you are a note taker, you are in luck because we've got this acronym to help us ask the question, are we participating in biblical friendship or uh, fellowship or simply socializing? And the first question we need to ask ourselves, letter P, are you present? Verse nine, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. Being present is the first step in expressing the divine reality that is our fellowship. I want you to notice here in verse nine, Paul is pleading with Timothy to come to him. And he repeats himself in 21. That's how we know he really needs this. He really longs for this. You see, expressing our fellowship through being present means being present not just on Sunday morning, but being present in one another's lives. We see a very positive example of this in 2 Timothy. If you go back to chapter 1, in verse 16, Paul describes this man Onesiphorus. He says, May the Lord grant to the household of Onesiphorus mercy, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. You see, Paul had been arrested for preaching the gospel. He had been put in prison in Rome and was sentenced to death, as you remember. And this man, Onesiphorus, when he heard about that, it says he left his home and he traveled to Rome in order to look for Paul so that he could be with Paul. Meaning Onesiphorus had to sacrifice in order to be present in Paul's life. And Onesiphorus's family needed to sacrifice so he could make that trip because they wanted to be present in the life of their brother Paul in the midst of his trial. And Onesiphorus expressed this divine reality of their fellowship. But Paul also speaks of those who were not present in this passage. I want you to notice in verse 16, this painful memory that Paul has. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he says, may it not be charged against them. It is noteworthy to see that the most discouraging thing at the end of Paul's life, when he was staring a death sentence in the face, was not his execution. The most discouraging thing to Paul was the failure of his brothers and sisters to be present with him. 
Paul cries out to the Lord for their forgiveness. And I think this demonstrates to us that being present in one another's lives as brothers and sisters in the Lord is not optional. It is an essential expression of our fellowship. Check your pulse. Are you present in the lives of your brothers and sisters? Or are you simply attending a church service? There is a huge difference according to scripture and it is worth considering in our lives because it's not just about being present, it is also about being useful. That's our U, P-U. There are a lot of names in this passage, right? And when we look at all these names in this passage, for most of us, these are really confusing Greek names. We may or may not know how to pronounce them, but if we read these names through the eyes of Timothy, I want you to get this sense of you are reading a list of names of people you know, of people that you care about and who care about you, people that have been partners with you in the past, people who have worked with you in the life of the church. And what is remarkable about this huge list of people at the end of 2 Timothy is all of the different ways that Paul draws attention to how they are serving alongside one another. There's big ways that Paul talks about, and there's even small ways. For example, I want you to notice in verses 10 through 13 that Paul says, Titus went to Dalmatia. Now, we know from the book of Titus that Titus was the pastor of the churches on the island of Crete. And it says that Titus, in this particular moment, was being useful to Paul by leaving his churches and going to a different region to help out. And I would imagine what Paul means by that is he's helping out with kind of pastoring and caring for the Christians in that other region. But Paul also identifies the man Luke. He says, Luke is with me in Rome. We know that Luke was the author of the gospel, according to Luke, and the book of Acts. And so he was able to function possibly for Paul as a scribe, one that could kind of help him with correspondence if necessary. But Luke was also trained as a doctor. And so you can imagine that Luke, being with Paul in Rome, was making himself useful, not just by being present, but maybe caring for the medical needs that Paul had in his imprisonment. But the last thing I want you guys to see here is verse 12. There's a, a guy by the name of Carpus. And all Paul says about Carpus is that the guy held on to his books and his jacket. It seems like a really, really simple thing for someone to say, hey, can you hang on to my Bible until next Sunday? Or hey, can you make sure to grab my jacket from the hallway down there? And yet Paul is saying, hey, that dude hang on, hung on to my stuff and I am really appreciative that he was willing to do that. Timothy, can you drop by Carpus's place and get my things when you are on your way to be with me? It may seem like a simple thing, but Paul is profoundly thankful that Carpus was not simply willing to be present in Paul's life, he was willing to be useful. No matter how big or small the task, our fellowship in Christ ought to be expressed in useful ways. Serving in the nursery, taking someone to a doctor's appointment, teaching a Sunday school class, helping somebody move, praying for a family, or just sitting with someone who has lost a loved one. All of these and more are all ways that we express our fellowship in Christ. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, when speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, will talk about them in this way. 
There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Everyone matters in God's family, which means everybody can contribute. Those who are old, those who are young, those who have typical needs, those who have special needs, those who have mental health challenges, those who have physical health challenges, every single one of us has needs and every single one of us can serve. Going back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, perhaps a person I quote too much. The exclusion of the weak, he says, and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. For it is in the poor brother that Christ is knocking at our door. Let's check our pulse. Are we present in the lives of our brothers and sisters? Are we looking for ways to be useful, to serve one another out of reverence for Christ, to serve the least of these? And the key here is not to ask yourself, what is my spiritual gift? The key is to say, what are the needs that I know about that the Lord may be providing me an opportunity to meet or ways to serve? Are you considering how God can use your unique needs, your unique limitations, your unique abilities to care for others or to be cared for by others? Help out with a ministry or just hold a jacket <laughs> like Carpus. Be useful. But even if we're present, even if we're useful, the truth is it doesn't make this easy, okay? Life together in the church is often very messy. And that's why I think we need to be willing, not just to be present and useful, but be willing to learn how to do this well. I want you to notice in verse 11, after Paul says, Luke alone is with me, he says, get Mark and bring him with me, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Now, why would Paul bring up Mark? Or why is it significant that Paul would bring up Mark? Well, it's important to know that this man, Mark, his full name is John Mark. He was the cousin of Barnabas, who was one of Paul's companions during his missionary journeys. And it's someone that Paul had a very complicated relationship with. In Acts chapter 15, we read that Paul and Barnabas got into a huge argument about whether or not John Mark should accompany them on their second missionary journey. Now, why? In Paul and Barnabas' first loop around the world, John Mark had joined them and found it incredibly overwhelming. And in the middle of church planting, of evangelizing, of persecution, John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas and left the ministry. And that hurt Paul deeply, and it seems very personal. Barnabas, it says in Acts 15, gave John Mark a second chance. And we see that through that second chance, John Mark learned how to serve and to be useful even in the midst of hardship. That he learned how to endure so much that Paul actually has a change of heart about John Mark at the end of his life. In verse 11, he says, Mark, this person who had been useless to him, Paul now says, is very useful to me for ministry. We need to acknowledge that serving alongside one another is messy and hard. 
Relationships in the church can be challenging and filled with unmet expectations. And yet this relationship that we see between John, Mark, and Paul, I think is a, a beautiful example to us of what it looks like to embrace God's grace for the past. To actually learn from our failures in the past so that by God's grace, we can move forward in ministry together. Check your pulse. Are you willing to learn how to serve others well? Are you willing to listen and not assume? Are you willing to accept that fellowship requires more learning than perhaps more action? How can we begin to embrace God's grace for the past? How can you embrace God's grace for the past so that you can engage in the present? Are you standing on the sidelines because of some past hurt? And are there ways that you, trusting God's grace, can slowly move back toward expressing, expressing that partnership that is our fellowship as a church? Because expressing our fellowship in Christ, it means being willing to bear with one another's burdens and to suffer together for the sake of the gospel. I want you to notice here throughout 2 Timothy that Paul is thinking about all of the kinds of suffering that he has undergone alone and with others. So much so that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he would make the conclusion, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It is precisely because we are united to Christ that our fellowship will often experience suffering. Suffering for the sake of one another and suffering in the world. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The idea of fellowship is to draw attention to the fact that it is God's will to reveal Christ's character through our fellowship as we bear one another's burdens as brothers and sisters in the Lord and as we suffer for the sake of the gospel in the world together. And the truth is, something that we need to wrestle with, is that not everyone wants this kind of fellowship. I want you to notice an example that Paul gives in verse 10. Paul speaks about a man named Demas. And Demas was a man who was deeply involved in Paul's ministries early on. In fact, if you turn over to the book of Colossians or the book of Philemon, what you will find is that Demas's name is listed among those that are with Paul and writing the letter to the Colossians and to the man Philemon. And then it says in verse 10 of 2 Timothy, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. Demas wanted to be comfortable more than he wanted the gospel. And that is incredibly challenging. Martin Luther once wrote, he who will not suffer does not want to be in the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends. He wants to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the good people. Oh, you betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would have ever been saved? The church is not a social club. The church is not a spiritual retreat center. The church is a messy fellowship of sinners 
who have been called saints in and through Christ. We are a community of gospel needy people. Gospel needy people who have been gathered together to form a gospel-centered community. So let's check our pulse. Do we actually want fellowship? Do we want to be present in one another's lives? Do we want to be useful as in, in one another's lives? Are we willing to learn how to care for one another? And are we willing to suffer for the sake of gospel community, for the sake of the gospel in the world? Are you holding fellowship at arm's length because you are ashamed to be seen with other Christians or with Christ? How has God called you now to embrace suffering together as his people. And this is the last letter in checking our pulse because if we are actually seeking this kind of fellowship to express what Christ has accomplished for us, then we need to endure. This is what Paul says in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This, I think, is the full and the final expression of our fellowship. It is embracing the hardship of what it means to be united together as God's people. Finishing well matters to God. And I think this is why in verses 16 and 17, Paul identifies how God helped him to endure, even when he was alone. But I want you to notice that Paul's reflecting on his loneliness, not with some sense of spiritual ideal. He is pained by the fact that he was alone, even as God cared for him in the midst of that. Enduring means being willing to stand firm on God's word, not just alone, but together. That as the word of God is mocked in our culture, as God's people are slandered or persecuted, we stick it out together. We endure the shame together. And it is through this practical expression of our fellowship, being present in one another's lives, being useful in one another's lives, learning how to care for one another, suffering for one another and for the gospel and suffering in a way that is enduring. Paul says it is through that that the message of the gospel might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. That is the most amazing sentence in these final verses that the full proclamation of the gospel requires us to endure suffering together. And the reason for this is that as we suffer together, what we are demonstrating is not our stature or our amazing accolades, but the fact that the only hero in the story of the gospel is Jesus. I want you to notice here, if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, that Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, 
but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul knows at the end of his life, there are no super-Christians. We are all needy sinners. There are no heroes of the faith. We need each other in order to leave a gospel legacy. Because only Jesus is always present and there for us. Only Jesus is always working for us and for our good. Only Jesus perfectly learned obedience to his Father for our sake, as it says in the book of Hebrews. Only Jesus suffered perfectly for our sin and perfectly for our salvation. Only Jesus perfectly endured the wrath of God for us. Only Jesus perfectly endures our failures as his people. Only Jesus is the hero in the gospel. Who are we? We are those who have received his grace through faith alone, just by trusting in him, the only hero. And it's as we do this, we have fellowship with Jesus, a union with Christ. And it's as we are united to Christ that we have fellowship with one another. This is exactly why God has gathered us together as his people in general and this morning. He has gathered us together so that by the power of his spirit, through the preaching of his word, through the receiving of this sacrament, our worship together and our life together, we would guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us in this generation for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of the next generation. So that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, resting in the power of God, trusting in Christ alone, we would declare and demonstrate the gospel. And that together we would leave that gospel legacy that 2 Timothy has been drawing our attention to this entire time. So let's check our pulse and make sure that we're truly participating in the fellowship that God has given us in and through Christ not socializing, but partnering together for the sake of this gospel legacy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by your generosity, your patience, your kindness, and your goodness toward us in Christ. You have accomplished so much that it seems there's not enough time, even in our lifetime, to consider all that you have accomplished and provided. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be thankful in a way that wells up into worship of you and partnership with one another. Lord Jesus, thank you for the unity that we have with you, for uniting our, yourself to us in becoming man, living the life that we could never live, dying the death that we deserve, being resurrected from the dead for our sake so that we might experience all the blessings of the salvation you have accomplished. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to appropriate these into our lives as individuals and especially as a community. Help us with these things and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.